Hello, crime historians, and welcome back to another episode of a crime story podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and I am originally from the United States, but in 2018, I moved to France. And when I moved here, I just started hearing all of these crazy and insane crime stories. So I created a crime story podcast to tell you all about these international mysteries. So without further ado, let's just hop into today's story. Our crime story today takes place in Peru and covers the murder of Olivia Arvalo and the lynching of Sebastian Paul Woodruff, commonly referred to as the Ayahuasca Murders. This story has a lot of moving parts, so let's just hop into it. As always, we start the episode with a brief description on the legal system of the country of where the story takes place. As a democratic and decentralized republic with a multi-party system, Peru runs on the civil law system. The president serves as the head of the state and the government, representing the country's ongoing interests and directing governmental policy. Like the United States, Peru has three separate branches of government the executive, legislative, and judiciary. The judicial branch, of course, administers justice throughout the country. The Peruvian constitution dates to 1933, and the Supreme Court serves as the highest court in the land. As far as crime goes, the police investigate. Now, so far, that's very straightforward. However, Peru does suffer from corruption within the police and the government. Most prominently, disgraced former president Alberto Fujimori resides in prison, having received a 30-year sentence for mass corruption. Transparency International 2016 Corruption Perception Index rates the country as the 101st place out of 176 countries. Statistics also rank Peru as 63rd out of 230 countries and territories for its murder rate, as an estimated 7.7 people out of 100,000 people are murdered in Peru. Peru locates on the western side of the South American continent, nestled between Brazil to the east and the Pacific Ocean to the west. Best known as the site for one of the greatest wonders of the world, Machu Picchu, Peru serves as a popular vacation spot where tourists can visit the Amazonian jungle, remains of the Inca Empire, the Nazca Lions, and partake in ayahuasca. Personally, I did not know what ayahuasca was until a few weeks ago when I watched a Netflix documentary, Unwell. The documentary talks about different organic treatments that supposedly help people. The topics range from essential oils to tantra sex to fasting. I personally recommend you watch a documentary. It's quite fascinating and educational. One episode spotlighted ayahuasca and it introduced me to the culture that surrounds this drug. Ayahuasca is a hallucinogenic cocktail that comes from the sections of the vine of the Benisteropis capi and the leaves of several other plants. This brew contains a powerful hallucinogenic alkaloid, DMT, and an MAO inhibitor. Used for centuries by indigenous people in the Amazon, when the Spanish first arrived in the Amazonian jungle and encountered the indigenous peoples, they noticed, quote, work of the devil being at place. That devil 
was ayahuasca. Traditionally not used as a recreational drug, ayahuasca rituals are both physically and mentally demanding. They take the drugs in these ceremonies called ayahuasca ceremonies and they most happen at night. In small doses, the drug has a tranquilizing effect that begins 15 to 60 minutes after drinking the cocktail and can last for up to two to six hours. Led by a shaman, the ayahuasca ceremony calls for people to drink the brew and after a few minutes, they vomit and this serves as like the cleansing part of the ceremony. The drug now takes effect. Some experience in a euphoria and a feeling of enlightenment while others go through severe anxiety and panic. It's not uncommon for these taking ayahuasca to experience both positive and negative effects of the brew. The shaman offers spiritual guidance to the participants throughout the ayahuasca experience and monitors participants for safety. Some retreats have medical staff on hand as well in case of emergencies. Some people have died from ayahuasca as a result of a seizure or choking on their own vomit. But according to a study from the Beckley Foundation, ayahuasca produces feelings of openness, optimism, and the ability to decenter oneself from the universe and experience a sense of unity. Ayahuasca reportedly helps with self-discovery, anger problems, addiction, and even medical problems such as cancer. Just to know, ayahuasca remains illegal in the United States, but some people argue that it impedes on their First Amendment right to freedom of religion, stating that ayahuasca is a part of a religious ceremony. I'm sure some idiots judges buy this argument just as they may buy a human sacrifice as a religious freedom as well, but I digress. Illegal underground ayahuasca ceremonies occur not only in the United States, but in other countries around the world as well, such as Canada. So what does this all have to do with Peru? In recent years, Peru has become a hub for ayahuasca ceremonies, particularly in the city of Enquitos. Nestled in the Amazon basin has become the ayahuasca capital. Other big ayahuasca hubs in Peru include the cities of Puerto Maldonado and Tarapato. Ayahuasca tourism has exploded in Peru, with several ayahuasca healing centers emerging. From luxurious month-long retreats that offer jungle tours to short one-day ceremony, capitalism reigns. If you want to experience ayahuasca, Peru jumps to the top of your drug tourism list. Now that we have a clear backdrop, let's hop into the crime story. Our crime story does not actually start in Peru, but in Canada where we meet our first major character in our story, Sebastian Paul Woodruff, who went just simply by Paul. Born October 26, 1976 in British Columbia, Canada, Paul, according to his friends and family, loved the outdoors, hated materialism and consumerism, and was noted to be a seeker. Paul never seemed interested in the conventional life and really did not worry about money. In 2013, Paul worked many odd jobs such as construction, tree planting, and even as a sea urchin diver, which sounds like one of the most interesting jobs ever. The guys on the sea urchin boat dubbed Paul as sea bass and noted that he seemed wrapped up in his own world. Likely an alcoholic, Paul did have a big heart and knew all the homeless people on Vancouver Island, even helping them out when he could. 
Paul had one son who he co-parented with the boy's mother. Paul and his son would often hang out and bond in the wilderness together. Always interested in, quote, spiritual enlightenment. Remember, friends and family of Paul referred to him as a seeker. Paul studied local indigenous ways, as well as the teachings and the spirituality of the indigenous people from all around the world. Through these self-studies, Paul became interested in ayahuasca. Following an intervention about his alcohol abuse, Paul's ever-growing interest in the indigenous lifestyle made him make the decision to become an addiction counselor. Paul decided to start his journey to becoming a counselor by going to Peru to study ayahuasca as well as go through an ayahuasca ceremony for his own healing. Paul landed in the ayahuasca capital in Quitos, Peru, where he went to a retreat center titled Barbas Bessa, managed by the indigenous shaman Guillermo Arvalo. Paul returned to Canada convinced of the power of ayahuasca, but Paul's friends and family disagreed. Paul became increasingly aggressive and mentally unstable. In response, Paul arranged illegal underground ayahuasca ceremonies in Canada. Paul's family encouraged him to seek psychological help the Western medicine way. Paul made back and forth trips to Peru without his family's knowledge. On these trips, Paul became friends with Guillermo Arvalo, whose retreat center he would attend in Iquitos. He also met Guillermo's cousin, Olivia Arvalo Lamos, part of the indigenous Shipibo tribe. The small 81-year-old elder Olivia remained vibrant and one of the most respected shamans in the Peruvian Amazon. She knew about 500 to 600 plants that would address a wide range of sickness. Olivia worked in popular tourist ayahuasca treatment centers. Olivia served as Paul's shaman and even mentored him in some ways. At this point in the story, it gets strange, as most stories involving drugs do as abnormal becomes normal. In 2017, Paul seemingly was on a downward spiral. Reportedly, he freaked out at locals and he had overly aggressive behaviors as he prowled the streets at night with a club in his hand. Reportedly, he visited a cafe known to be popular among expats and asked a stranger for a gun. Paul became obsessed with the Arvalo family and they hatched a plan where Paul contacted the owners of a company in Canada that he had previously worked for to ask for a loan to fund a new ayahuasca retreat center that the Arvalo family and Paul would start. Not all went according to plan with the Arvalo family as rumors suggest that Paul gave Olivia's son Julian money for ayahuasca but that he never received it or that Paul felt that he was ripped off by Julian and the Arvala family over the establishment of the new retreat center. In March 2018, an angry Paul rented a motorcycle, switched rooms in a hotel, and went to the police complaining that he had been robbed and that he lost his Canadian passport. On March 27th, Paul wrote on Facebook, quote, I am feeling better day by day in Peru. So thankful to be sitting with good peeps, end quote. He also had a reply to that saying, I'm leaving the place I am due to a tribal disagreement. On March 30th, Paul walked into a police station and asked to buy a gun in order to protect him from jungle animals. 
This is not illegal for the Peruvian police to do so, but I'm sure it's not recommended either. Nevertheless, Paul bought a gun for around 830 United States dollars, and on April 5th, Paul posted on Facebook, not enjoying life right now, having a rough go, please send me prayers, dot dot dot. On April 19th, 2018, Paul left the boarding house where he stayed. He told his roommate he was off to take ayahuasca. He drove to Olivia's house and stood outside shouting for Julian to come out. Paul had his gun and he started firing shots into the air. Some reports say that Olivia stepped out of the house to confront him about the shots, and in a rage, Paul pointed the gun at her, fired twice before trying to flee. The local-slash-witnesses also said that he had demanded a healing chant from her before he shot Olivia twice, killing her. By the time the police arrived to the scene, angry villagers had already grabbed Paul off of his motorcycle. This mob then pulled the gun out of Paul's backpack. They told the people present not to call the police, and they had plans to get justice. The mob then beat Paul up, took a rope, and lynched him in public. And just to know, if you do any other research about this case, there is a video online of this lynching. I recommend you do not watch it. I only saw a still when I was researching, and just that still is so disturbing. The people who lynched Paul allegedly told the audience that if anybody had reported his death, they would meet the same end. Being 2018, however, videos soon surfaced and identified four ringleaders of the lynching, one of whom was the mayor of the town that Olivia had lived in. Although identified, they escape, reportedly to the Amazon jungle, and have not been seen to this day. It's not entirely clear exactly what happened in the moments before Olivia's death or why it occurred. But when authorities found Paul's body, forensic testing confirmed that he had pulled the trigger of the gun that killed Olivia. Even today, many family and friends do not believe that Paul shot Olivia Arvalo. Despite all of Paul's troubles, the killer did not fit the profile of the man that they knew. Quote, I find it hard to believe that this actually happened, said Gary Woodruff, Paul's father. Quote, I just know my son. Locals in Olivia's town believe that the authorities did not care about the killing of Olivia Arvalo, but only pursued the case because it involved a dead gringo. And in case you don't know that term, it means white person. The prosecutor in the case stated, you can't just take justice into your own hands. Sebastian Paul, for what he did, had to face justice. The people who killed him have to face justice. You can't respond to a violent illegal act with another a violent illegal act. But no one knows the motive that Paul had when he shot Olivia. In Paul's rented room in Peru, they found a Book, a long hunting knife, a wrestling mask, sleeping pills, ozoplan, which is a antipsychotic drug used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, as well as a anti-anxiety drug. No one definitely knows whether Paul took ayahuasca on his last trip to Peru, but ayahuasca and antipsychotics do not mix. In the most basic terms, ayahuasca serves as a downer, while antipsychotics 
serve as an upper. In a recent case, a British man on antipsychotics took ayahuasca at a ceremony, thought another participant was possessed by a demon. So he got a kitchen knife to attack him, and then him himself lost his life in the ensuing chaos. There's not enough research on ayahuasca to know its effects with other medications exist, but common sense should reign. My elementary school teachers taught me to just say no to drugs. This completes the 16th episode of A Crime Story. This story seems pretty open and shut, but it brings forth several interesting issues, from mental illness to drug use to the capitalization of indigenous traditions and knowledge. I want to hear your thoughts on this case. Do you think ayahuasca contributed to Paul's descent into madness and murder? Would you ever try ayahuasca? Do you think the capitalization of indigenous traditions is the good thing? even if it is run by the native people themselves? You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod, where I will be posting images from today's story. You can even comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or at a crime story pod on Twitter. My website is a crime story where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab. You can even comment and see additional photos on a crime story podcast on YouTube. I have also started a TikTok under the name A Crime Story Podcast, so make sure to go check it out. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find the show. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you next time on October 21st, while I will be covering a case from Costa Rica. You won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted, created, and written by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. The logo was created by Sabrina Smith. Theme music is by Ross Budgen. Additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story. Stay safe at home and abroad. Thank you.